What I am about to say, I absolutely promise you that I say from a place of love and respect for the book we're covering on today's episode. No, seriously. It's important to me that we're on the same page about this. Are we good? Great. The Brothers Lionheart is quite possibly the most bizarre book we've ever read on SSR. Remember, I say this from a place of love and respect. This children's fantasy novel, written by Astrid Lindgren in 1973, is bizarre in the way of total brilliance. It makes you compulsive in wanting to discuss it. It raises so many questions. And since it's unlike any other book I've ever read for kids in my podcasting and pre-podcasting lives, you know this is bound to be an interesting episode. Before this week's guest introduced me to The Brothers Lionheart, I was entirely unfamiliar with it. I was aware of Astrid Lindgren's other novel, Pippi Longstocking, but The Brothers Lionheart was a new and unknown commodity. Knowing that this book is unknown to many readers, we do a lot more plot talk than usual in this episode, mostly because I really want you to grasp how wild of an emotional ride it is. If you haven't read the book or haven't heard of it, don't stop listening. Since we are going to be sharing quite a bit of the plot in the episode you're about to hear, I'll spare you most of the details up front. Suffice it to say that we've got two brothers, Jonathan and Carl, aka Rusky, who, spoiler alert, die in very unexpected ways, bringing them to what at first seems like an idyllic afterlife in a place called Nangiala. Things are never as simple as they appear, though. There's a resistance movement happening in Nangiala, And, no surprise here, the boys get involved, putting their lives in danger all over again. It's kind of like the show The Good Place, in that there seem to be a slew of places you can spend eternity after your time here on Earth is finished. Some are good and some are bad, and in some, apparently, you can be killed all over again. All of this, my friends, again, in a novel for children. The Brothers Lionheart really is a special type of literary gem, and I'm so happy that this week's guest, Amy Ignatow, put it on my radar. Amy is the author and illustrator of the Popularity Paper series and The Mighty Odds, the first book in the Odds series. The first book in the Popularity Paper series was selected as a top 10 title for 2011 by the American Library Association's Rainbow Project, was a 2010 Gold Award winner by the National Parenting Publications Association, and was selected by the Chicago Public Library as one of the 2011 Best of the Best books. Amy lives in Philadelphia with her family, Eight Fish, and a cat named Dr. Josephine Frimplepants. Amy's latest book, Revenge of the Sis, which is the seventh title in the Star Wars Jedi Academy series, was published earlier this year. Follow Amy on Twitter at Amy Ignatow. If, like me, you want to work more audiobooks into your reading routine, I'm that much more excited to tell you more about our lovely new partners over at Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. How cool is that? Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code SSRPOD when prompted. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I personally love supporting my favorite Brooklyn indie, Books Are Magic, when I buy audiobooks there. Pal around with us on social media by following us on Instagram and Twitter at SSRPOD, and by searching The SSR Podcast on Facebook. 
Fans of the show often ask me what they can do to support the pod. If you're already following us on social, sharing that you're listening by tagging and posting about SSR is really helpful. You can also give us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts to help us maintain a spot in the rankings there. You can also become a Patreon sponsor over at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast. There are some pretty awesome perks up for grabs. Thanks so much to the Patreon community out there listening. Your monthly contributions go a long way. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Amy. Welcome to SSR. Thank you. Hello. I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. I am thrilled to be here, and I'm so happy that you agreed to read this weird book that I feel only I have heard of. <laughs> when your rep emailed me with this suggestion, I was like, first of all, I looked on Amazon, and initially the only buying options were like used from the 80s that I would have had to purchase from these like random sellers. And eventually I did find that there's like a standard issue paperback copy that Oxford University Press publishes. So I was able to get it more easily than I thought I would initially. So that's good news. Listeners, if you want to pick up a copy of this book, I'll make sure you have a link in the show notes because it's fascinating. But to be honest, I had literally, 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 and I I say that very earnestly, I'd never heard of this book. Although Mm -hmm. it is by an author that I've heard of. Um, Listeners, the book is The Brothers Lionheart, and it is by Astrid Lindgren, who is probably more familiar to most people as the author and creator of Pippi Longstocking. So Amy, I need to know, like, why this book? How did you come upon it? What was your experience reading it? And I say it all in this tone because it's it's a wacky book. Like as I was reading it, I kept looking up at my husband and I was like, what? <laughs> like I, it was great though. Like I couldn't stop reading it. I flew through it. But I, at the same time, I was like, I have a lot of feelings about it. I know. I know. It is a book that gives that gives the feelings like pretty, pretty easily. So I should start by saying that my mother introduced me to this book and my mother is not American. So I think that that's, (laughs) I think that it's very funny because she didn't introduce me to a lot of literature, but this was one that we were at the library when I was a kid and she was like, you need to read this book. So I think it, I mean, it must've come out, I I guess, you know, when she was a teenager or a kid or so she had familiarity with it. um, Or she certainly had familiarity with Astrid Lindgren. Yeah, it was published in 1973. I don't know if that's helpful right, in sort of yeah, placing no, so, it in her. But is that world. 1973 in America? <laughs> I think it's 1973 in Sweden because the review that I found from the New York Times um, was from 1976. So I'm wondering if maybe it started, you know, publication in Europe in 73 and then made its way over here a few years later? Then maybe she, uh, I'll I'll ask, but maybe she just knew Astrid Lindgren and was like, okay, you're going to read this one and you're going to read, you know, Ronia the Robber's Daughter is the other one that I almost 
you know, suggested for this one, which I, I strongly recommend as well. So I took it, you know, we took it out of the library and I read it over and over and over again. And I just kept taking it out of the library. Like every time I went to the library, I'm like, oh, I'm going to take this one out again amongst other, you know, other books. I'm going to take out The Brothers Lionheart and Sweet Valley High. So, you know. That's some serious contrast, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know even if that explains my own writing, but I do like a, a wide range. And and it was always surprising to me that no one else had heard of this book. And if you, I mean, I am certain there is a copy of The Brothers Lionheart. I'm not certain, but I hope there still is a copy of The Brothers Lionheart in the, the Huntington Public Library on Long Island. And you can just look at like the little card and it probably just says like my name repeatedly, <laughs> like took it out. And, um, and I loved this book, but it's so weird and it's so dark. It's such a dark book. And <laughs> it's so dark. Like I, I have to know what, what do you think it was that kept you coming back? Back to it because it is very in, it's engaging and I think for a kid like it has this fantasy element that is appealing to kids no matter what like I loved reading fantasy growing up and I read pretty much any fantasy book that I could get my hands on as listeners know but this like you said has sort of this dark undertone and there's like an element of reality to it that's also sort of spooky so what was it do you think that appealed to you that made you like kind of fill out <laughs> to fill out all the lines in the, in the card in the back of that book at the library I think a lot of it had to do like in the rereading of it right right now um it, with the world building mm. um that she does and this like everything is just so wonderful and beautiful and uh you know all of these descriptions of flowers and smells and foods and landscapes and you know this sort of wonderful world that you can go into where a 10 year old and a 13 year old could go on crazy adventures that are absolutely scary and and the thing that Astrid Lindgren does, which is a thing that I try to do in my own books. I don't know if as successfully, I don't know, to just give these kids like an opportunity to have these adventures and to like really get into it and to like be capable. Hmm. And I think that this is a story about how one kid is totally capable and the other kid has nothing but self-doubt and then proves himself to be capable. And and I think as a kid, you can see yourself in the narrator who, so I don't know which translation you read. <laughs> I, I don't know either. So like I said, I have this Oxford University Press copy. And as I was doing some research before I spoke to you today, it's funny because like there are slight variations in the different articles I was reading about like the name. So in the in the translation I have, the older brother's name is Jonathan, but in yeah. some of the articles I read, it's written as Jonathan, which I assume is sort of the original, maybe the Swedish version right. of the name. Um, very small changes across articles, so I would imagine that there's like variations. I think the the narrator in your version's name is Scotty. Mine is Carl. Carl, but his nickname. It's Rusky. Rusky? Oh, it is Rusky. Oh, thank goodness. Because I, okay. So then what happened is many years later, okay. I was thinking about how much I love this book. And um, I was like, I should just, I should just find this book online and I should buy this book. I am an adult with money and I can do that. And so I, you know, I ordered it online and it came to me and the illustrations, which I believe are the one in your hand, totally different. Hmm. Right. And I was like, okay, these are not the illustrations I love, but all right, I can handle that. And I read it and they actually, in the, the version I read, they changed the characters, the main character's nickname to Scotty oh, to weird. make it make more sense. 
Hmm. So in the, okay, this is deep in the weeds, but like in the, the version I have, his name is Carl, right. right? the little brother, the narrator, but he's called Rusky because he likes rusks. Right. I don't know what a rusk is. I actually discovered what a rusk is because I didn't know either. And I was like, I have to know this before I be, it's like the, it's like the crusts of toasts, which is such like a random thing to be named after, but he likes yeah. the crust of like Swedish toast and in Sweden. They call those rusks. Okay. Wow. I thought it was something else in my mind. And I was, I thought it was like this Dutch uh, thing that we used to have called beschout, which, okay, it's not. <laughs> According to my <laughs> research, it's the equivalent of calling your little brother crusty, basically. Ew. <laughs> But he liked it. And so um, in this translation, they were like, he calls me Scotty, which is short for Biscotti, which is a cookie I like. And I'm like, no, that's not your name. Like, this is appalling. And I had this and I was so disappointed, you know, because I'd read it so many times that my husband, being an excellent human being, uh, found the version I love and (laughs) and ordered it online. He's a keeper. And so that is the that is the version I have. And I'm, I'm going to show you like the illustrations are bananas good. The illustrations are super detailed. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Maybe I'll try to post yeah. some some photos from my copy in the show notes so that listeners can take a look at them if you haven't. <laughs> by chance read the brothers lionheart the illustrations are really detailed i don't know that mine are quite as intense as yours and and send them to you because it they're beautifully done and i'm trained as an illustrator and so i just have this deep appreciation you know for them i mean we're sort of jumping around but like catla the illustration of catla when i was a kid i looked at it and i was like well this is terrifying and i love it and you know oh she's a dragon but she's she's not pretty she's awful looking and i'm you know not like beautifully terrifying just stone cold gross terrifying and so i i i you know i got it i got why people were you know afraid of her also because she's murderous did the illustrations in your book have nudity in them by any chance Um, okay. I have nudity. I have nudity. Not to be totally immature. No. But there there are penises in my book. What? There are, like... Now read your book. Let me see if I can... I have, like, a... Here's Jonathan holding a rose while wearing a very snazzy turtleneck. Like, that's not... Oh, wow. That's a bad... Okay, listeners, I'm looking at this very beautiful line drawing. That's not what I have. No, I have Jonathan and Rusky's penises. Oh, well. I obviously flagged that. Yeah, it's when they're in. Oh, here, I'll show you. Listeners, sorry for all the rustling paper, but this is, I just have to show Amy. Can you see? Hey. Yeah. They're not Mm -hmm. Jewish. No, they they are not. And they're in the water. (laughs) I guess they're like bathing, but that surprised me. That was like a flag for me. As you can see, I wrote at the top of the page. (laughs) Um, because I have not seen this in a kid's book and I have now read upwards of 50 uh, middle grade and YA books in the space of the last year and this is the first time that I have seen genitalia in the drawings of a book. I read a penis book. I I don't apologize. I think more kids should know that penises are a thing and it's not a big deal. Right. We all have bodies and those bodies are sometimes naked and we we just need to like learn to be comfortable with that as I am I just I had to note that because this is a first for SSR yeah oh 
Yay. <laughs> Making history. Um, so I also, and I want to, I want to set up the plot a little bit. Um, I don't always do this, but because I think that this is a book that not so many listeners are sure. familiar with, let's do like a quick setup for people yeah. because it's a fascinating premise. The idea here is that there's these two brothers and the younger brother is named Carl, aka Rusky. He's 10 years old when we meet him. There's the okay. older brother, Jonathan. Right. Krusty and Jonathan. And Rusky is, like you said, he has a lot of self-doubt. He's smaller. He seems to have been born with just like maybe some inherent like illnesses. He's not doing very well. He has sort of this unnamed pulmonary disease. I read online that, you know, we're meant to believe it's probably tuberculosis given the time period that Mm -hmm. we're assuming that this all goes down in. And Jonathan is like the golden boy. Like not only is he good looking, but he's nice. He's smart. He just has it all going for him. And I have to say that I appreciated the fact that like just because he was good looking didn't mean that he was an asshole. Because I do find that sometimes in kids books, it's like there's the brother or the sibling who's like, not as good looking and not as cool, but who's super nice and super smart. But in this book, these brothers both have a lot going for them. We don't have the contrast of like the asshole brother and the nice brother. They're both really sweet. I think I, I think I loved that as a kid, and I certainly appreciate it as an adult, where this older brother is, it's stressed over and over again how kind he is and how he uses his gifts to give to others and how, you know, he knows that his brother is literally deathly ill and he just does everything he possibly can to, you know, to make him feel better, to make him comfortable, to keep him entertained, to, you know, be there for him. And you're just like, oh, this kid, like, oh my God, he's just, he's good at school and he builds things and he's kind and he takes care of his single mom and he, you know, and he helps this kid and he's ultimately incredibly self-sacrificing and he's magical basically, but it's okay because he's so sweet. He's such a nice, he's such a nice boy. Yeah, we, we love Jonathan. Like, okay, I accept it. Jonathan's great. And yeah, then, I couldn't hate him, even yeah. though he was perfect, and I definitely would have been perfect. resentful of him in real life. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, in real life, I'd be like, who are you? Like, what? Are you going to kill me? You're too perfect. You know, as I believe of everyone who I think is too perfect, they're probably going to murder. But no, nope, he doesn't. He's also, he's moral. He's very, you know, and he's thoughtful. And Rusky just worships him, and he doesn't, uh, he never takes advantage of that worship. He never, you know, he never takes it for granted. He worships his goofy little brother right back and is so happy when his brother does well. And I think, wouldn't we love to have someone like that in our lives? You yeah. know? Yeah, this is like the ideal sibling that you would want to yeah. have. Somebody who's like your cheerleader, but also has something to teach. Um, mm-hmm. He strikes this really nice balance of being like aspirational for Rusky, but also really relatable. Like, And I think that's yeah. probably very, it's hard to achieve that in a book because it's very easy to hate a character that seems so perfect. Right. But like you said, you just can't. He's so good in every way. Yeah, and, and I think I think she sets it up so nicely too, where, you know, clearly, you know, this is a kid who uh, knows too much. You know, he knows what's going to happen to his brother. He knows his brother is, you know, going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, still manages to to make the best out of that, I guess. <laughs> and so what ends up happening is that Rusky finds out, he overhears the, uh, you know, his mother's friends talking about, oh, and his and his father's out of the picture because his name is Axel and he's lost at sea. And that's all you ever hear about that guy. You're like, yeah, really? just a little <laughs> okay. tidbit there. 
Oh, Axel's lost at sea. Okay. And then he goes up to his older brother, Rusky, he overhears his mother's friend saying, "Um, you know, oh, it's too bad. That kid's going to die. He's like, wait, they're talking about me. I'm going to die? Wait, what? Shocker. You know, and he spent most of his life, you know, bedridden, uh, you know, and he's only 10. And he says to Jonathan, like, "Uh, I heard this thing. I'm going to die. And Jonathan's like, well, it's true. And then he just, you know, it's all very sad. And he's like, I'm very afraid. And his brother's like, don't worry. You're going to go to this other place. And I have read this book for 30 years. And I'm just going to, do you know the pronunciation of this place? No, I was going to see if you could just do it first. (laughs) I made you read this book. Somebody (laughs) has to do it first. And then I'll try. You try first. And then I'll go next. Was it Nagiala? Oh, that's way better than I could what did you, say. What did you think? I was going to say like Nanjigala, but the, it, it, you sounded way more elegant saying it. <laughs> let's, let's, um, I'm sure like some Swedish person would be like, what is wrong with you? You know, I don't know. That sounded German, but. Um, <laughs> it works. It's fine. Sure. Okay. Wait, uh, say it one more time because I want to hear it in your elegant tone. And also I'm going to try to say it the same way so that we can be consistent. Nangiala. Nangiala. Okay. Yeah. That's way better than the way that I, than I said it. So yeah, Jonathan knows about Nangiala. Yes. So magically, it's never really explained how he knows about this, but he's like, look, it's going to be great. We're going to go to this land of campfires and sagas. And like, he's clearly, uh, you know, they're, they're city kids. You know, they, they do not go camping. They do not, you know, have this sort of magical outdoor existence, you know, beyond the confines of their, you know, city blocks. And so, and they're poor. And that's made pretty clear. Like they live in a one, you know, like a two room apartment, you know, with their mom. They sleep they're, in the kitchen. Yeah, they sleep in the kitchen. The mom has to make money as like a freelance dressmaker because Axel was lost at sea. And, and so then he he goes, don't worry. And then, it, you know, you're going to go there and you're going to live in this, you know, wonderful farmhouse and you're going to ride horses and catch fish. And in a couple of days, uh, because time is different there than it is here. And it's like a, a land beyond the stars. It's very poetic. Uh, I'm going to be there. And then, and then we're gonna high five, and it's gonna be great, and we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, have adventures together. And uh, and and then Jonathan says this thing, which just absolutely destroys me. Um, he's just like, and it'll only feel like a couple of days to you, but I'm gonna have to live 90 years without you in my life. And I'm like, oh my god, bro, what? yeah. Like it gets, it's, it hits you. Their relationship, they're just like so devoted to each other. That was the word that kept coming up for me. There was just this like intense devotion. And the way I read it is sort of like they have this father, Axel, who we've talked about, who's disappeared. And their mother, maybe you have to believe, is like not home very much because she's out trying to make money. So it's like the two of them who are in life together. And they just are very reliant on each other for all kinds of things. Yeah. And and you always have Rusky being like, well, what can I give to, to my brother? He's perfect in every way. And the brother's like, I don't need anything from you. You just have to, you know, be my brother. I love you. Yeah. Unconditionally. And um, and so there's the fire. Uh, <laughs> and then this. OK, I also have to say, listeners, this was on page like nine that this happens. Yeah, this this story that we're about to tell, like it's tragic, basically right off the bat. And this yeah. fire scene really fucked with my head. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, chapter one, Rusky learns he's going to die. Chapter two, Jonathan dies. In a fire, you know? trying to save yes, his little brother. Saving, successfully saving his dying younger brother. The fire rips through their apartment building. And I thought she did a nice job of explaining how it happened by, like, making it a newspaper report. Where the newspaper reporter had a lot of flourishes. In, in, yeah, I was like, I don't think I learned this in Journalism 101. But, like, that's fine. Maybe things were different in yeah. Sweden when this was written. I mean, it's a beautiful piece, really. Just not particularly newsy. 
No, <laughs> they're like, let's let's talk exactly how this poor child died. And so, you know, this 13 year old runs into the burning building because his poor little brother is alone and sickly and can't do anything. And he takes the brother on his back and flings himself out of the window of this apartment building. He shields his brother with his body and just squishes and dies and rolls over and is like, I'll see you in Nagiela. And then he dies. And they describe like the moment just before he died where Rusky's like looking at him and they talk about the fact that he's bleeding and they had this moment together. It's a dribble of blood coming out of his mouth and you're like, oh my God. It killed me. Awful, awful, right? Uh, and they had been, they had always had this song that they'd sang to each other about a white bird coming to visit him. And then, so Rusky is, is, you know, he's beyond himself with grief. And then a white bird comes and visits him and he hears Jonathan's voice being like, I've got this farm and it's great. <laughs> you know, you're going to come here. It's got our name on it and we got horses and don't even worry. It's going to be, it's been wonderful. And then he's like, cool, I'll just wait to die. And then he dies. Right. And even as a kid, this was my one thing. I'm like, oh my God, that poor mom. <laughs> like, Yeah, seriously, this all happened to her in a matter of weeks. And I, I happened to pull out just the way that Astrid Lindgren, whose name is also not particularly easy to pronounce, actually wrote the moment of Rusky's death. And it's unlike any other death scene that I've read. And it's worth noting to listeners that when this episode drops, the last episode that you'll have heard is about Charlotte's Web. And we actually talk oh. a lot in that episode about death, too. Mm-hmm. And this was completely accidental and just a matter of scheduling. But interesting that we're talking about these two books that like are all about teaching kids how to like healthfully absorb the loss of their loved ones and how to prepare for their own death. So if you haven't listened to the Charlotte's Web episode yet, listeners, when you're done with this one, go back and listen, because I think it'll be interesting to hear the differences and how these two authors approach like very scary subjects. But this is how Rusky's death scene goes. Then it happened, and I've never been in on anything so strange. Suddenly I was standing in front of the gate reading that green notice, the Lionheart Brothers. How did I get there? When did I fly? How could I find my way without asking anyone? I don't know. The only thing I knew is that suddenly I was standing there looking at the name on the gate. So he basically fell asleep, and then he wakes up, and he was like, oh, it happened. But didn't he leave a note for his mom? He's he like, did. oh, don't worry about me. I'm going to Nagiala. Right, and I'm like, does your mom know about this place? <laughs> like, And that's where I started to be like, how does Jonathan know? Like, In addition to being the savior of this afterlife, is he also mm-hmm. some sort of a prophet on Earth who knows where you're going to go when you die? Like, Really, who is this kid? Right, well, then it, it's sort of, as an adult, you start thinking, well, maybe this is all just a story that he made up yeah. to make his dying brother feel better. But then they go on this adventure. So who really cares? You just have to have a like a kind of suspension of disbelief. Jonathan is just he's just really in tune with uh, stuff that's going on. He's very I spiritual. Mean, he doesn't he doesn't know what happened to Axel, his father that was lost at sea. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, he knows where they're going when they die. And his story really does help his younger brother to, like, cope with his illness. And the whole situation with Jonathan dying first is the first in, like, a series of rule reversal kind of situations that happen and, like, very surprising swaps Mm -hmm. in which brother is is playing which role. Um, Because for the first couple of pages of the book, like, we as readers are resigned to the fact that we're going to have to watch this, like, very frail, Mm -hmm. weak, timid, vulnerable kid 
die laying in a bed. And then he does not like himself. He thinks he's ugly. He thinks he's, um, I don't know if this was in your translation, but he's very focused on his knobby knees. Mm -hmm. He he Mm -hmm. does not have straight legs. He's very beaten down by whatever he's had to go through these 10 years with his health. In the matter of a page, it's like the whole thing flips around and his older brother who was strong and brave and handsome and healthy Mm -hmm. is the one who dies. And Rusky is the one left to like figure out what he's going to do next. So, you know, obviously very soon after that, he dies as well. And now they're both so this in this is the life first together. Two chapters. Right. This is what blows my mind about this book is that you have main, both main characters die in the first two chapters and then they go to Nangiela and it, and that is when they get like one chapter of like peace and quiet. Yeah, and they have you know. horses, and, like, that's what oh, Rusty yeah. had always wanted. Like, he never mm-hmm. thought he'd be able to ride a horse. And everything's perfect. Like, suddenly yeah. he can do all the physical activities that he wanted to do. His legs are straight. They point yeah. that out very explicitly. Like, he looks down at his legs, and they're not knobby anymore. Like, mm-hmm. he can run. He can ride horses. He can do all the things that he always wanted to do. He can swim. He can swim naked, according to these illustrations in my book. <laughs> Well, like a thing that I love is it's is that there are large passages where he's just like, "Do you know what I love?" And then he just talks about all the things he loves. You know, I love being with my brother, and I love. I'm paraphrasing, and it's not as as beautifully the language that she uses, but I love the smell of cherry blossoms, and I love little paths that twist and through the mountains, and I love this, and I love that, and it's just it's infectious, you know. Yeah, he's like, so sweet. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, he's so eager and like so sweet and just so grateful, and right. I think like. That this part of the book, I think, does a great job of maybe easing kids' fears about death. Although I'm sure there are a lot of parents who maybe have opinions about, like, what sort of spiritual background, like, this maybe mm-hmm. encourages or promotes to kids. But, like, I think that if you can put that aside to some extent, like, it is nice for a kid to read a story about a little boy whose life really is so much better Yeah, when no, his suffering is done. Like, oh, but then... <laughs> oh, right. But then things also kind of suck in heaven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that uh, oh, by the way, we live in we live in Cherry Valley and it's beautiful and everything is great. Oh, but there's this neighboring valley, Wild Rose Valley, where everything is absolutely horrible because they're oppressed. So because we're great people, we're going to go help them. That to me is I mean, that. If I really think it is so influential, like, okay, we have this wonderful life here and we could just stay here mm-hmm. and be fine, but that's not okay when our neighbors are suffering so much because of a terrible oppressor who uh, has come down from the mountains uh, with his secret weapon and uh, built a great big wall. Uh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Built a great big wall around the Wild Rose Valley and, uh, you know, starves the people inside of it and and um, and turns them. I don't know if this is in your translation, but uh, in my translation, it's like it turns them into bondsmen. Yes. I understood that as a kid. <laughs> like, oh, slaves. He makes them slaves. Yeah. Like, the, I had a lot of feelings about the wall in general, just because it really strikes a, a chord in 2019, I would say. Um, and as listeners know, I have no problem getting political on this podcast, oh, yeah. but I did pull out one excerpt that, that really uh, had had me sort of feeling some things. It says, I thought about the children of Wild Rose Valley. They must have run about and played and splash and had fun down here by the river before. Now they couldn't because of the wall, that dreadful wall, which enclosed everything. And I couldn't help but think of Donald Trump and the way that his overzealousness about building the wall has affected the lives of 
all kinds of people, including children who, as we all know, have really suffered because of the ruthlessness of his decision making. And being kept within walls, like right. being, you know, <laughs> children incarcerated is not a good thing. No, I agree. Yes. We're not, we're not for that. And nobody no, should be we're for that. that. No. We're against yeah. that here in the SSR podcast world. <laughs> um, I'm with you. No children in cages. Let's, anti. Uh, and that is why, that is why Jonathan has to go and, uh, and, you know, help them out. Another thing is that, uh, Jonathan tells his brother, he's like, oh, by the way, while you were not dead, but I was dead, right. <laughs> I've become a key player in the resistance against this <laughs> terrible oppressor in this neighborhood. And uh, and and I remember as a kid, I, I, I don't think I thought about it too much, but you know, these things, they seep into your brain. The leader of the resistance cell in Cherry Valley is a woman. Yes, I loved that. Sophia. Oh, Sophia. She's so cool. So she has all these birds, and I'm really afraid of birds, but I'll set that aside. She has all these birds, and, like, they're the only ones that can transport messages. Yeah, they're carrier pigeons. It's so cool. Oh, it's so cool. Oh, and they're also the same bird that came to visit uh, Rusky while he was laying dying, but still in, you know, our earthly plane uh, that brought, like, Jonathan's voice with him to tell him, don't worry, we've got a farm. It's all good. Yeah, and that came um, Sophia was the one who was able to, like, make all of that yeah. happen. And I love the fact that, like, the author explicitly says that Hubert, a man, was, like, passed over for the position mm-hmm. of leader of the movement in favor of Sophia. Like, it wasn't just an accident that she became the leader. She was chosen. Mm-hmm because she was the most qualified and the best. Yeah, Hubert's a little bit of a bitch sometimes. Yeah, whiny. <laughs> really whiny. <laughs> He's really whiny. He's not a bitch. Oh, so, you know, and so what they learn uh, before Jonathan sets off to save the, you know, the people, of, or to help the people of Wild Rose Valley in their own resistance, uh, they learn that Cherry Valley has a traitor. Mm. Oh, yeah. What is the name of the Tangle. Tangle is the name of the, the big baddie. Yeah, Tangle is like the evil leader who's come in and made Wild Rose Valley a very scary place. Mm-hmm. And his his kingdom is in the mountains. Yep, and he controls this dragon named Katla. Katla, mm-hmm. again, another name that I'm not sure how to pronounce, but let's go with Katla. That sounds better. Sure. He controls yeah. Katla with this trumpet. And I also thought it was interesting. So we have Sophia, who's the leader of the resistance movement. That's a woman. But we're also told again and again that Katla is a female dragon. Yes. And so I love that there's these like really fierce powerful mm-hmm. female characters on either side like right? there can be badass women who are really good and badass women that are really bad but either way they're crazy powerful I mean not to take us in a totally different direction but like in the future um if you'd ever want to read Ronia the robber's daughter um that is an amazing Astrid Lindgren story about uh, the, with the female protagonist hmm. um you know who's this wild child and her mom is really strong too and she and her dad is the you know has a robber crew. That's a whole other thing. I'll add that but, to my list. I've never heard of that book. That's interesting. It's so good. It's and it was very hard when when uh, you asked me to be on the podcast. I was like, oh, do I want to do Renee the Robber's Daughter or do I want to do um, you know Brothers Lionheart? And I chose Brothers Lionheart ultimately because I think that one touched me slightly more in my feelings place because it is you crying as you read this book. Like my God, seriously, and, it's very emotional. And I also I feel like you're a Brothers Lionheart scholar. Like you know a lot about this book. <laughs> like, like I'm, I want to, I want to like hang out with some Swedes and stuff and be like, hey, you want to, you want to talk some uh, Brothers Lionheart? Can you <laughs> pronounce these things for me? Can you pronounce all these things for me? 
Yeah, we need a little help. Yes. So they go on this adventure of Jonathan goes alone. And then Rusky, um, he he has a dream about him crying out for help. And so he has to go follow him. You know, so this kid, this 10 year old kid who has been bedridden all of his life, who is very shy and very, you know, full of self-doubt is like, well, I got to do it. And and Jonathan had, you know, because of all of the lessons he's been imparting to him, um, you know, sometimes you just have to do something, you know, to help. And if you don't, you're not a person, you're just a bit of filth. Yeah. You know? I, that came up again and again, this idea yeah. of like, well, if you're not brave, then you might as well be filth. Yeah. You're gross. <laughs> like You're a trash human. Jonathan is uh, very opinionated. He's like, listen, garbage person, let's go risk our lives. Man up. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) So he does it. He's like, well, I don't want to be a piece of filth. Uh, I guess I got to go. And so he, you know, he travels the wild countryside with his horse of an unpronounceable name. And I'm not even trying. I'm not trying that either. It's fine. I kind of want to, but I'm not going to. But, um, and he loves his horse, like, real, real bad. Mm -hmm. That horse, that's a good horse. And so, you know, and then he, he travels and he pushes himself and then they get involved in this, you know, resistance and they meet people and he understands, you know, Rusky grows to understand like why they're doing what they're doing and how important it is. And they have to hide from the authorities and they see like horrific things happening in Wild Rose Valley. Like in addition to the starvation and the general oppression, Tangle comes down and starts grabbing more, you know, able-bodied men to toil in his toil areas and and, you know, and it's like a death sentence. And then there's a murder. He sees <laughs> some things for sure. Yeah. And then, then, oh, then Jonathan won't let him see the things. He like closes his eyes to it. Yeah. And, and he doesn't want him to see Katla. Like for the first half of oh. the book, he doesn't even know like what Katla is. And so then when we see that she's a dragon, you're like, oh, okay. That's what we were hiding from. I feel like he probably should have given him a heads up. Because like, the first time he sees him is like her as on a dark and stormy night. And they're in, like on, on a cliff top. And all of a sudden through the lightning flashes, he sees Katla and he's like, oh, Katla. And he's like, oh, no. And I was, like, not expecting a dragon. I don't know what I was expecting, but I I was shocked. Spoiler alert, it's a dragon. We do tons of spoilers, yeah. Just a general spoiler alert for this whole show because we're walking you through the plot, and it's crazy. It's crazy, but also the book was written in 1973. Like, you've had time, people. (laughs) Yeah, come on. on, Catch up, catch up. So, yeah, the other thing that I thought was cool was, like, there's this role of fate in the book. Like, all of these things just kind of, like, fall into place. Like, after Rusky is captured when he goes out to, to track Jonathan down, which I loved because it felt like he was taking this responsibility. Like, he was so proud to finally have a chance to like be the one to rescue his brother instead of the other way around but while he's also love that he like sings to himself to like keep himself company he's like man my bread and my horse and my campfire like and I'm like that's such a kid thing to do like well and he's never been alone like he's never had to fend for himself and I think kids can relate to that like that feeling of what's it gonna feel like when there's nobody to help me and like what's it gonna feel like when it's all on me to save somebody or to do something big and I think that Ashton Lindgren did such a great job of illustrating that and like how that feels and then of course he's captured so like all of his worst fears actually Mm -hmm. end up happening and I sort of like that about this book because sometimes I think middle grade books just like hide all the terrors and it's like you can be afraid and everything's going to be fine and Rusky actually has to deal with some of his fears becoming a reality and unfortunately 
people. That happens sometimes in life. But there's just a sense of fate. Like he is captured by the enemy forces and they go through the wall and he explains to them like, oh, you know, I'm from Wild Rose Valley. It's fine. It's fine. Like, don't do anything bad to me. I actually live, I live there with my grandfather. And they're like, okay. White House. And then, and oh, and he purposely, he's wily. Like, he learns that he's wily. He purposely makes himself out to be like a dumb, dumb kid. Yeah. He's just like, I don't, oh, what's going on? Oh, look, I got out of the wall. I don't know how I did that. Yeah. Take me back to my grandfather. Like, just lies. Right. And he's basically wandering around because they tell him that they want him to, like, identify the house and introduce them to his grandfather. And I was, like, so nervous for him because it seemed like they were walking for a really long time. And I was like, oh, I hope you find a grandfather. Like, I hope you find an old guy in a white house. And just as the soldiers are starting to get really frustrated with him, he sees a house with an old man. And the old man is surrounded by pigeons. Thanks again for that little sign, Sophia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, like, trusts oh, them. one maybe. of them is white. Yes, yes. The white yes. pigeon just shows up everywhere as, like, a sign that everything's going to be okay. Because mm-hmm. it's white, obviously. You know, there's some classic symbolism there. But um, <laughs> so Rusky's like, okay, great. This is my grandfather. And he could have been completely screwed. I mean, he's in this very dark land. He has no idea where he is or who he's dealing with or what he's doing. And it just so happens that this guy, Matthias, Matthias, mm-hmm. who... Sure. <laughs> who, sure. Yes, I sound so good saying it. Matthias. I liked it. Thank you. Rolled right off my tongue. I've um, never even thought about how it's... Pr- I mean, it's probably... Yeah, it's probably Matthias, I Ma- guess. Matthias, I don't know. Matt. Matthew. Yeah, Matt. <laughs> yes, my grandfather, Matt. Yeah. Um, Rusky adopts Matt as his grandfather in this very, like, desperate moment. And then he goes inside, and it just turns out that that is where Jonathan has been hiding. You know, mm-hmm. this is... And that, that white dove was one of Sophia's, you know, that he's, he's like, a major part of the resistance. But I remember this from as a kid. I remember this, that he jumps down and just throws himself at this old man feeding pigeons and says, help me, save me, save You're my grandfather. And the guy's like, okay, and just, like, hugs him tight. And you feel such a relief you know right when the guy is like you know just you know hanging on to him and he's like oh where have you been grandson and you're like oh god it's all gonna be okay yeah you know? he's a good guy you're like phew thank god because okay. this could have been like a really bad guy yeah so yeah he like finds himself in the right spot and i, I mean I, fate maybe isn't the right word because he's he's following some pretty obvious breadcrumbs like these pigeons the white pigeon in particular has right. become like his sort of guiding light in all things but it's pretty neat how like all of these things sort of lay out like just as they're supposed to he, he ends up not only in the home of somebody who's part of the resistance but also in the home of somebody who's actively hiding his brother and has like a secret compartment and it's it's like a, a big deal but it's he actually even addresses it later in the book um, later when they're trying to break Sophia's uh, counterpart Orbar let's say that seems like his name right yeah. <laughs> sure. sure they're trying yeah, yeah. they're trying to break Orvar out of Catla cavern prison and they have to find a secret way in and then they find it you know yeah <laughs> they, that that I will say that resolved a little too quickly for me I was like come on can we let's like work a little harder let's let's force them to climb some more mountains or like do some extra work here but he says it he says he's just like wow I can't believe that this keeps happening like that time I found Matthias like that is amazing He's like, maybe this is fate. Maybe this is what we are on a path and we're supposed to do it. So I kind of appreciated that it was like addressed like, guess what? These guys are, these guys have been pretty lucky, except for the being very sick for most of your life and then dying in a fire and you know all of that stuff. Other than that, they've been. <laughs> Other than that, things have gone very well for you. Yeah. So but, they go yeah. on this whole adventure. As you know, we've mm-hmm. kind of mentioned 
parts of it where basically like they're trying to free Orvar, who is Sophia's counterpart within Wild Rose Valley. Head freedom fighter. Yeah, he's like the really good guy and he's been imprisoned um with the dragon and so jonathan's goal is to release him and so they go on this adventure to like try to free him it all works out pretty well up until the point where they're like being chased out by the dragon um there's a battle like there's a lot of other things that happen that we don't really need to get into because that's like the fun of the fantasy and that's what you'll read if you if you read the book but things get pretty dark again when they are being chased out and rusky is presented with this dilemma where they're on the same horse and he's like we can't both save ourselves somebody is gonna have to jump off and jonathan is stronger and like he's the one that everybody's obsessed with around here and so rusky makes the decision to basically throw himself off the horse in order to save jonathan's life and also to like make sure that their cause is preserved and so there's another great role reversal where he's like, okay, I'm going to be the one that steps up this time. What my brother did for me when he threw himself out of a freaking burning building, I'm mm-hmm. going to do now in this weird afterlife so that hopefully we can free all of these people and my brother doesn't die right now. Because spoiler yeah. alert, again, he's going to die later. <laughs> but he's just like, he's like, Jonathan, I got to go tuck and roll. And he's like, he's like, okay, rescue ball. And then he just catches up. Yeah, see you later. Like, yeah, I have faith that you'll pick me up later. It'll be fine. You know, oh gosh. And then the descriptions that she uses, like, and they were bloodstained and dirty and starving and terrified. And you're like, this is a lot. This is a lot to deal with. <laughs> yeah, they weren't looking so good at that time. It was pretty dark. They are reunited. And then things get worse. Like, I keep thinking, oh, everything's going to go back to normal. And they're going to be in heaven again. Or you know, sort of whatever you call heaven, whatever that right. construction is for you in the afterlife if you have an afterlife in your spiritual mm-hmm. belief they're they're victorious against tangle but like at a huge cost like all of right. these characters kick it you know yeah everybody matthias matt dies yeah. all of the good guys die and at first you're like okay great jonathan and rusky both made it through but and this is really sad and dark i guess there's something about katla's flame that if it hits you it paralyzes you and ultimately will lead to your death and of course there's like this fried right or or you die have a horrible slow death right and there's sort of this convenient twist on it where it's like it doesn't happen right away like it it sets (laughs) in later because it seems like things are fine jonathan and rusky have gotten away rusky's so happy he's like great we did it how cool are we i helped i was with you like i contributed how cool am i and then jonathan's like yeah except that i actually got burned and that means that momentarily i'm never going to be able to move my legs again and i'm probably going to die and obviously there's that device where it's like it didn't happen right away but it's going to happen any minute now the horses our horses our beloved horses that you thought were sleeping they're dead they're over there they're dead just so you know we're in the middle of nowhere right (laughs) they're screwed they're screwed and now jonathan the stronger of the two brothers is paralyzed and headed for death and this is where things get super weird and really dark because they're going to die again. Like, they're going to yeah. die in the afterlife. And I think this is where it's, like, super divergent from other books or other, like, tales of the afterlife. Like, I don't think I've ever read a book about an afterlife where it's like, okay, you can be here, but you're gonna, you, you're still in danger. And for the first half of this book, when they were going into all these dangerous circumstances, I was like, oh, it's going to be fine because they're untouchable. Like, maybe they'll get a scratch, but they're going to heal because they're already in the afterlife. So, like, cool that you're doing all these adventures to keep 
things interesting, but like nothing really bad is going to happen. There's no high stakes, but no, you can actually die in the afterlife. And there's a second sort of like stage that you can go to if you die in this afterlife. And I'll, I'll try to pronounce this one first. I think I have to like look at the, I have to look at the words because it's, oh yeah. That's what I'm doing right now. All right. I'll try this one first since you tried the other one first. All How right. about Nangiyama? Oh, I always said Nangilima. Nangilima. Again, you sound so much better. Let's do yours, Nangilima. We're going to find out. We're like, you're going to have a listener who's like from Northern Europe and being like, what is wrong with you people? Listen here. Send me a DM. Email me at hellossrpod at gmail.com. Maybe send me like the, the phonetic <laughs> pronunciation. That would be really helpful. I'll follow up with you on that, Amy. Yeah, he, he said, well, don't worry. If we die here, we'll go to, to uh, Nangilima. And that's like here, but it's better because there's no dragon to murder us. Maybe there's like fewer adventures. Like, But I'm like, where does it stop? Really, Jonathan? Like, when do we just get to chill? Also, like, this is something that always... Uh, a little bit bothered me is that so they're off on their adventures and they're you know doing these death-defying things and then it, it ends well we'll talk about that in a bit but but then like what happens the mother's just like <laughs> she's lived her life and she shows up at their farm and they're not there and she's like wait we're oh now I have to die again to, to reunite with them yeah and she my, really gets the shit out of this stick <laughs> Hey, where's Axel? We have no idea where Axel, he's going to go. I don't, I, don't, I don't trust this Lost at Sea story because he never shows up. And that's another thing. Like, there's no one in Nangiala ever mentions like, oh, remember that place where we used to live where in the city that was, you know, before we died and then came here? No, right. this is from there. Right. You remember know, Earth? Yeah. Remember when we died? Nope. Just the brothers Lionheart. Just them. Yeah. <laughs> the only ones who came from this other place. Yeah, that that's they've true. Forgotten. Yeah, I know. It almost seems like everybody else has been there all along. It almost made me think of, I don't know if you've ever watched The Good Place. Oh, have I? Yes. <laughs> There's something about this book that reminded me of that, where it's like you have all of these different worlds that you can live in. And it's, you know, it's not exactly the same, but the sense that like there's not a single place that you go when you die. And there's not a single place that you go if you're good or a single place if you're bad. Like there's there's these different variations of where you can end up. Like and like every weird neighborhood that they've, they've ended up in. Exactly. And like in the original good place in the first season of the show it's like you find out later on that all of the other people that populate this neighborhood that Kristen mm-hmm. Bell's character has found herself in they're all kind of like working for the devil and so I'm like okay are all these other characters like Sophia and Hubert like are they working for a greater I, I, power I, it's really interesting to think about there's something that like Jonathan was like keyed into that and he's like all right, I'll go there. I'll go there when I die. I'm taking my brother with me. Cool. That sounds good. This thing. Yeah, I'll be Let's, a knight. Like at one point they look up at the stars and, and it's a totally different set of constellations because they're not on Earth. Mm-hmm. And then uh, so he his brother's like, oh, I'm looking for the Earth star. And, and Jonathan's like, oh, you can't see it from here. Like what is <laughs> what is happening? He's all knowing. Yeah, the, the final, of course, you know, where uh, Rusky is given this sort of choice like you can either hang out here with your dead horses and your paralyzed brother or you could jump off this cliff and you'll all go to this new place like leap of faith what do you want to do and he's like all right let's do it (laughs) he does exactly the same thing that his brother spoiler alert obviously but that his brother did for him um because his brother can't walk anymore the line that i pulled out was but it was not we who had to jump it was i who was the one to do it it was difficult to get to nangalini Jonathan had said, and now I knew why. How would I dare? How could I ever dare? Well, if you don't dare now, I thought, then you're a little bit of filth, and you'll never be anything else but a little bit of filth. So 
we come back to that like yeah. crash human thing, which kind of bothers me, but you know, whatever. It's 1973. Yeah, it, they're very much it, they're very much into the hero story. Right. There's not there's not a lot of room for you're either a hero or you're a garbage person. Like that's <laughs> that's all you get. But you keep seeing these heroes again and again in the book. I know that that when I was a kid, one of the most affecting scenes, which like as an author, I now can imagine Astrid Lindgren's like, oh, I'm going to write this. I'm going to write this. It's going to make people cry. This is good. I'm doing a good thing. Maybe she wasn't as egotistical as I am when she writes, but um, where this woman, her husband is taken away to be a bondsman and he's just like, no, nah, screw you all. I hate you. And and I spit on you. Blah, and like, you know, flips the bird to Tangle and Tangle's like, well, I'm going to kill you now. And so he, he gets murdered in front of everybody. Uh, Rusky doesn't see it because Jonathan sort of protects him from it, but he hears the whole thing and it's, it's, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Again, children's book. And then later, they see this woman and she's sitting in front of her house and she's just cutting off her hair. Yeah. She has long hair and she's cutting him off. And they're like, Oh, what are you doing with your hair? And she's like, bowstrings and you're like oh my god <laughs> like yeah she's gonna she's gonna do something with those bowstrings too or at least you hope she's going to go on a murder spree and more power to her because uh, tangle's terrible and so are all of his people yeah so yeah <laughs> they're just sort of in this like unwinnable world i don't i mean it's interesting because i guess like little kids and i don't want to stereotype but i think this is for little boys there is this like drive to like be a knight and to like vanquish your enemies and i think that this book is definitely written with that in mind and it's like maybe there is a little part of the afterlife that gives you the chance to be the hero Mm -hmm. um maybe that's part of it like you get to have victories in a way that you don't when you're just like a kid living on earth and then after you go through all those adventures maybe then you get to chill like I'm really hoping that when they get to Nangalima they're just going to be able to like hang out and eat ice cream yeah well especially when you think about it or like the many descriptions of nice warm bread and butter and like goat's milk Would you like some more goat's milk? Let's have some fresh berries. We're just going to live the, it's like a continental breakfast, like constantly in their world, like a really rich one. It's, it's Carl's journey or Carl. I've I've matured him of not calling him Rusk anymore, but it's, it is his journey uh, from being this like absolute, you know, docile and not having any sort of autonomy, really uh, sickly dying kid to being this incredible hero, you know, on the same level level as his brother like he does amazing things he uh he saves Sophia at one point you know by himself like without his brother's help he you know goes on this incredible journey to find his brother because he's been left alone he's like listen listen kid you've been here for like a day or two but I gotta go and fight this you know this resistance war um you'll be fine don't forget to feed the bunnies all right bye you know and he he follows him and he you know and they they work together and I I just I think as a kid you read this and you're just like you see yourself there you know, it's really, it's pretty easy. Yeah. And I also, I liked the fact that even though the goal always was to be Jonathan and always to like be strong and to be brave, there were parts of Rusky's, I don't want to use the word weakness. Cause I, I think that that sort of like invalidates him as a character, but there are yeah. parts of, of him that I feel like were sort of out, like the fact that he, he cried a lot. And and I think this book like normalized crying. It normalized being and afraid Jonathan too. Jonathan. Yeah. Like, uh, he was a crier, too. They were just like, this is it. Terrible things are happening. 
let's just get what we need to get done while crying. (laughs) Yeah. And they were super expressive with each other. Like they were very loving. And I think those are things that you don't always see in kids books. And we talk a lot on the podcast about like how some of these books, particularly from decades gone by, portray masculinity and like how you're supposed to be as a boy or how you're supposed to be as, as a grown man. And I think this book does a really good job of being like, you know what, being brave is great. And we get why that's the goal to be strong and good looking and to like be the hero. But there are these steps along the way where like maybe you're vulnerable or maybe you're scared or you love your brother and you miss your mom. Like all of these things are okay too. And I I think the book did such a great job of showing that both things are okay. And like the journey, this is so cheesy, but like the journey to become strong is is worthwhile even if you feel weak along the way oh like most definitely and and I chose this book just because it is because you don't see that enough mm-hmm. you know yeah like I'm trying to think of like well what's it like a modern book to to sort of compare it to and there's there's kind of nothing because there's no books where both characters die in the first two chapters and then you know and then die again at the end like that's that's crazy it's a weird book with penises in your version but um the unadulterated version the the, the illustrator of the, my version um, that I like uh, is uh, his name is uh, or I just assume it's a, a, a guy it could be a woman but I think it's a, a guy named J.K. Lambert mm. and the illustrations are so beautiful but um, yeah to, uh, you know you, you've got your Harry Potter mm-hmm. but even Harry Potter he's got that like stiff upper lippy Britishy you know yeah. like yeah my parents died but it's okay I'll go to this magic school and you know not really express myself and you know kind of thing whereas these guys are like you're my brother and I love you and that's the whole book yep that's it it's all about brotherly attachment and it's funny because I was telling my husband about it um and again and it's very shorthand way where I was like they die and then they have this adventure and then they die again and I'm not sure where they're going but in that explanation I included some thoughts about like these brothers are obsessed with each other and they love each other so much and he has two brothers and he had like such a reaction to the way that I described it which is weird because I tell him about a lot of books that I read and he was like oh wait that's like really sad and I think it just it really like illustrates the attachment that you can have to your siblings and in this in this example of course it's about brothers But um, I will say as we start to wind down our conversation, I think it's worth noting that like this book had a great response from kids when it first came out. Astrid Lindgren said that she got more letters about this book than anything else she ever wrote, including Pippi, which surprised me. A lot of people wanted to know what happened to them. Um, A lot of kids had questions about where they went next. And she wrote a story that ran in a newspaper about a year after the book came out that sort of like confirms all of the good things that happened to them once they went on to like (laughs) Afterlife 2.0. I can send you the link. It's really interesting. Yeah, Yeah. it talks about like where the mom goes. And I'll include a link to that in the show notes, listeners, if you want to check it out. But there have been mixed reviews and like mixed thoughts on it from parents and teachers because there's this like lingering darkness about death, but also suicide. When you really get down to it at the end of this book, what really happens is that Rusky kills himself. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of the book, Jonathan's jump out the window is an act of heroism and trying to save his brother. And while what Rusky does is brave, he also is ending the life that he has in this new phase. And it's also sort of portrayed as like the solution to their problems. Right. And so a lot of parents and educators have a problem with that 
especially now it's become more controversial. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I remember even as a kid, just reading it and being like, Oh my God, he is putting his brother on his back and they are jumping off of a cliff. That's crazy. But it's also, it's a fantasy, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I feel like that the, the book does a good enough job of really separating that those first two chapters that are very rooted mostly, you know, except for like the magical bird that comes and talks to him. <laughs> rooted in real, you know, this is their real kind of gritty life that, you know, sort of terrible things happen and they go to school and they have, you know, this mother has to like make dresses to make money. Um, and then the second part where these magical things, magical coincidences where, Hey, they just show up and they have a farm already. Like who was there before? How did this happen? Like what, you know, you can't, if you start looking too deeply into all of those things, you'll just, you know, kind of drive yourself crazy. Sometimes the story is just, it's just great as a story. Yeah, and it is a great story. I agree. I'm grateful that you introduced me to it. And I ask all of my guests this at the end of SSR episodes. Um, and since you are a diehard fan of this book or have read it so many times, I'm curious to see what your thoughts on this are. Um, reading this book recently, now obviously in preparation for this podcast, has it made you love the book all the more? Are you appreciating certain parts of it in a different or new way? Or has it ruined it in some way for you? Have parts of it not held up? I mean, I think it holds up, and but I'm kind of like now when I read things, I have a seven year old daughter. Okay. I also have a four year old son. I feel like I should just mention him, but you know, I'm not reading him this book. Um, but I have, sorry, little boy, you are you are four. Um, but uh, you know, she's getting seven is getting into the age where she's starting to read. First of all, to read independently, she's definitely doing that, but also to read books that have more darkness in them. Mm. You know, that have you know that she can kind of start to absorb that. I still think seven is a bit young, but we also have books all over the house and she just grabs them. So that's kind of hard to stop her. She right. started reading my books and I'm like, I advise other people to not let their children read my books until they're at least eight. And she's just like, look what I have. And I'm like, not that that book isn't cursive and you can't read it. She's like, I'm figuring it out. And I'm like, oh God, you know, like you're too little for these books, but you know, I can't, that's like, what can you do? So to read it as, you know, as an adult who has a seven year old, who's, you know, in, in the next year or two, I'll read this with her. And I'm so excited to do it. Mm-hmm. Like I am so excited to read this horrific book of death, you know, where like and war and you know oppression. And they're very like overt about the way they talk about it. They're yeah. like, he is the oppressor, you know. It's very clear. We are the liberators. You know, it's amazing. Um, I'm excited to read it to her. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kinds of questions she asks. Yeah. <laughs> it always is interesting to see what kind of questions <laughs> it'll probably be like, how do you pronounce this? And I'll be like, Oh no, <laughs> that I cannot help you with. <laughs> Man. Well, I'm excited to hear how that reread goes for you. You'll have to let me know before yeah. we sign off. Um, I also always ask my guests if there are other books that they've been reading lately, they can be kids books, YA books, adult books that you would recommend to our listening community. I've read a lot lately. I just read, um, AS King's dig. So this is uh, a uh, YA and older book. It's like a little bit, a little bit uh, strange and magical as all of her books are, but you know, rooted deeply in reality and in, um, you know, it's a story about white people, mm. which is <laughs> it's just a crazy thing to think about. I loved, I, I really enjoyed that book. Um, I also read, which I cannot shut up about this book to anybody. Uh, Jesse Andrews wrote a book called Mun Mun that came out, I think, last year. Mm-hmm. And it is mind-blowingly weird and good and, like, hits all of my, like, the things I love 
you know, that sort of challenges me um, as a reader and as, you know, a person. And it's about uh, a sort of a, I don't want to say dystopian because it's not really true. It's sort of an alternate reality where instead of race, uh, people have socioeconomic sizes. So if you're very poor, you're known as a little poor and you're like the size of a rat or a squirrel. Hmm. But if you somehow manage to make more money, then you get bigger. And so like the multi-gajillionaires are the size of a skyscraper and need to spend all this money getting taken care of because it costs a lot to dress them and build things for them. And of course, they can't even hear the tiny people and the tiny people can have a hard time getting uh, bigger because, or, you know, making money because they can't even get into the school because the school is up a set of stairs, you know, things like that. And in Mun Mun, it is mind-blowingly good. So those are the, those are two of the things I've read recently. I've also read a lot of uh, Dogman because, again, I have a child. So, <laughs> cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll include links to your recommendations in the show notes for those episodes for anybody who wants to check those out. I'll include a link to the Brothers Lionheart, the the, the version that you're not going to have to buy from a third-party seller because this one will actually come and in a reasonable period of time. And of course, I will include links to all of Amy's books, including her new book, Jedi Academy Revenge of the Sis. Everybody go take so a look at that also. From the Brothers Lionheart. <laughs> Well, we're just seeing your journey from a kid reader to an adult mm-hmm. writer. That's all. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you for introducing me to this book. This was really fun. Thank you for having me. Thank bye. You. Bye, Amy. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.